morning, saints. Um, you all look gorgeous. Just encourage you. Um, I'm just going to start my timer. That's more just because I feel like I should. I'll just ignore it for the rest of the time, but um, jokes. Um, it's a real joy to have you with us, particularly those of you who are back for the first time, and I've um, enjoyed seeing some of you again. Um, we're carrying on this series, which is really important. We always do a vision series in the autumn term. We're going to get to the scriptures in a moment. Ivana is going to read for us from Ephesians chapter 2, and so turn in your Bibles to that now, if you could, so you're ready. Um, that would be great. I was Interestingly, I, um, I read some research uh, recently that says that um, if you read something on paper, you're 10 times more able to engage with it um, in your brain and remember it than if you read it digitally, which is really interesting, isn't it? Something to do with the synapses in the brain. I don't understand that. Sounds very important. Um, so I want to commend to you bringing a Bible to church, old school, bring your Bible. And if you haven't got one and you'd like one at the back, we've got some paper ones. Rock and roll, people, rock and roll. Now, um, as we emerge from the pandemic, we are all, I'm sure you'd agree, asking lots and lots of questions, really important questions. There's a sense, isn't there, that we've got this opportunity in the midst of all the loss and the confusion and the pain to revisit who we are as a culture, as families, as individuals, as places of work, as churches. It's a reset opportunity. All of us are in different ways recalibrating, reprioritizing, reviewing who we are, how we do what we do. There are so many possibilities and priorities for us to throw back up in the air prayerfully before God and say, God, let us not drift back into some sort of default version of the old normal. I know some of you don't like the whole language of new normal, but can I just remind you that the old normal wasn't as good as we might remember? And some of the predictions about the new normal may not have come true, but it's still a good opportunity, I think, for us to be asking those sorts of questions. What does that mean for our relationships? What does that mean for our work, for how we do family, for those at school, for those who employ people? Everything, it seems to me, could be, in a healthy way, really up for grabs. And that, of course, is true of church. And so this vision series is perhaps more important this year than it's ever been as we think about what does it mean to be all saints Worcester. I love walking through the um, grade one listed Georgian porch that I really wish I could tear down because it's the least welcoming way to walk into a church on the planet, as far as I can tell. Um, but I love walking in because on the left, you may not have noticed it, there's a list of rectors that have gone before me. Uh, I'm not officially the rector anymore. I'm a vicar. That's a junior title. Um, say no more. But um, it says on there, there was a rector here in 1125. It just reminds me that this church has been here for, well, probably a thousand years. They, they think there was a church here before this one. I'm just passing through. We're just passing through. This is entrusted to us. It's not my church. It's actually not even our church. It's Jesus' church. And I love that because it reminds me, um, my name might end up on the list if we ever get around to updating it. But really, in the grand scheme of things, the church is so much more, isn't it, than that. And in these days, people are asking me, Rich, two questions. Number one, post-pandemic, if, if that's what we are, what's the church going to be like? And, and the short answer is, um, I don't know. 
the, the slightly more nuanced, more helpful answer perhaps is, I'm not entirely sure, but I've got some hunches. As I've pondered and prayed and thought about it over the last 18 months, I think it's going to be smaller, but more potent. I think it's going to be smaller, but braver. I think it's going to be more creative and experimental and diverse in its shape and form, but that's going to be more costly. Not in terms of money, but actually in terms of our time. But that there's an opportunity for us if we just trust in the leading of the Spirit and don't rush forward, but wait and wait until the Spirit says to step into a chapter in our story that could be remarkable. I do, and I'll come to this at the end, probably, maybe. I think we live in an extraordinary moment in time for the church. The greatest opportunity you and I will have in our lifetimes to see the church really bear witness to Jesus Christ. Some of you were around two and a bit years ago when we spoke about revival and renewal and the importance of praying and and seeking God for that. And, And we spoke about how renewal always comes on the back of crisis. None of us saw a global pandemic coming, but there was a sense that something was going to have to give, and give it did. The other question that people are asking me all the time is, uh, Rich, what's the vision for All Saints now? And the answer to that is much more straightforward. The vision hasn't changed because the scriptures give us the vision for the church. It says that we are called to practice the way of Jesus in community. That's our language. To apprentice ourselves to Jesus together until we become like him. And, and it's to join with God in the renewal of all things. And until those two things are done, that's the vision. How we do it, what we do to do that, is all up for grabs. But the vision hasn't changed. And so this series is really asking that question. Who are we? This is us. But what it, does it mean to be us? Who are we as the church? What are we called to be and to do? Some of those things are timeless, biblical instructions and descriptions and imperatives and some of those are unique to us here in Worcester our little bit of the one true holy catholic lowercase c and apostolic church so we're going to revisit why we do what we do why we do what we do the way that we do it not so that you can all go okay I've got a few more things to fit into my diary a few more things I should do but because you get a fresh glimpse clarity on this is who we are the people of God and therefore this is how we live and if that's what we're being called to be and to do then all of us are going to have to work through what does that mean in practice for me what can't happen what can't I do so that I can play my part in being who we are in these days for us but ultimately for the sake of the world are you with me who's up for that six of us I think the rest of you are, you're just being very polite, slightly getting used to it. Um, just as a side note, please pray for Andy and Debbie today. If you know Andy and Debbie, they've gone out to lead the first church plant that we're doing as a church. He is licensed this afternoon over at St. Peter's Benjuith. It's kind of like the legal formality before the big launch in November, but it's a big deal. I'll be there later and I'll send some photos. Uh, but do pray for them. And that's part of how we're becoming a bigger, different kind of church over the next few years, planting some new ones. Uh, Love is long and boring. The work of the church 
the work of discipleship, the work of being God's people is all about love. And love is long and boring. Here's the rub. Some of what I'm going to say is not new. Some of it is like, it's that again? Yeah. Gathering together, praying, reading the scriptures, serving on our kids team because you had kids once or you've never had kids and you want to help those who do have kids. Putting your money into our family bank account because that's the only place it ever comes from. Turning up early to make cups of coffee. That's just Sundays. What about midweek? All of that is church. Not church. That doesn't make us church. That's what we do because we are the church. So Ephesians 2, we'll come to that in just one moment, is one of a whole number of passages in the scriptures that we could have picked to look in detail at what is the biblical description, the biblical um, um, picture of what it means to be the church. There are loads that we could have picked. The New Testament talks about us being the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, a holy temple, a city on a hill, the light of the world, a holy people, a royal priesthood, the new creation community. The list goes on, right? There's so many pictures. It's this beautiful thing, the church. She's beautiful. Jesus says, you're my bride. And I'm coming again as your bridegroom. And there will be a day when we're united in true, perfect union forever. Heaven and earth reconnecting fully. And an end to all sickness and death. Every earthly marriage, Tash and Sam's and those of us in the room, they're just signposts. Pointers, eschatological, that's the big word, pointing to the end of time about the true wedding that is yet to happen. And you and I, Jesus loves us. And he believes in us. And he says, will you live out your calling as the people of God? So Ephesians chapter 2, finally. Ivana, would you come and read it? You've got a much better reading voice than I do. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. 
For through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We're going to focus on the last few verses in a moment, but just uh, a few comments on chapter, sorry, verses 11 to 18 in this chapter, which are kind of really the backdrop for what Paul then says in verses 19 through to the end. In these verses, Paul is describing for us this glorious unity that has been achieved through his life, death, and resurrection, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. There was, he says, once two groups of people. The Israelite people, the Jewish people from the Old Testament, and then, and then basically everybody else. But in Jesus, God has made one new humanity. From God's perspective now, there is neither Greek or Jew, slave or free, male or female. He sees his people. And he's calling us to give expression to that, to be that. That's what it means, first and foremost, to be the church. He explains in this passage how Jesus did it. It cost him everything. That's why in a moment we will come around the family meal, the bread and the wine. Because what we experience, what we receive, what we're part of, is only made possible through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Verse 18, we now have access to the Father through the Spirit because of the Son. Isn't that extraordinary? The God of creation who Jesus reveals to be the loving Father, we now have access to him through the Son, by the Spirit. Any of you got kids who just, they just feel very happy to walk into your bedroom at three in the morning because they need something? Yeah? I mean, part of me doesn't like it when it happens, and then I have these little moments of going, isn't that amazing? They don't second guess. They don't knock on the bedroom door. They just barge in. That's the picture that we should have. We have access to God the Father. We are no longer far from God. We're no longer separated from him. We're no longer divided among ourselves in theory. <laughs> Maybe you need to do a bit of work on that. Don't mean here. I mean collectively the church. We've been bought at a price because we are of infinite value. And it's changed everything. It's changed everything for you, and it's changed everything for me, and it has changed everything for everybody. It's just that not everyone knows that. We'll come back to that in a moment. And so Paul here is essentially explaining why there's a church. Why there is a church. Because this is what Jesus has done. Jesus says to you and I, you now are my body. You're my hands and feet. You're my brothers and sisters. You're my family. What's mine is yours. What I started is yours to complete. You don't get to opt in or out of being the church. If you sign up to follow Jesus, you become part of his body. 
And that has expectations on you as well as benefits. More of that in a moment. And Paul is saying, this is why there's a church. And this, therefore, is what the church is for. This is what it is. And this is what it's for. And we need all the other bits of scripture to help us fill out the picture. But this is a really good place to start. And we need to pay attention. Because in that process of reset for your life, in that process of revision, reviewing what you're going to prioritize, there are competing demands on you. Everything wants your attention. Everything wants your time. Everything wants your money. And Jesus in it all is whispering, I want you here. And I need you. And here's the deal. Without this thing called the church, you cannot be all that I created you to be because you don't get to do this on your own. You know, the word you appears over and over and over and over again in the New Testament. 90-something percent of the time, it's plural. Corporate, you. The individualistic mindset of our culture, is, it's, an, it's a historical anomaly. It's problematic for all sorts of reasons. So let's have a quick look. Verses 19 onwards. Verse 19. So now you, Gentiles, slightly different translations, the NIV, a different version. You are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens, along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. So Paul starts, doesn't he, with what we're not. What we're not anymore because of Jesus. You're no longer strangers and foreigners. Thinking, I don't belong here. I don't fit. Now he says, no, no, you have citizenship. Not long before we left New Zealand to come um, back, we lived over there for a few years, helped plant a church. We were having a conversation, but before we knew we were coming back, about whether we should become citizens, become Kiwis. And we saw our friends become citizens, and it changed their relationship with the land, with the people. That's the picture that we're being given here. You're citizens. Where? Citizens of heaven, Paul says in Philippians 3. This new creation community. Notice each statement that Paul makes here gets that the level of intimacy increases, becomes more intense. So it starts with citizenship. Then he says, uh, uh, along with all of God's holy people. That's everybody who's trusted in Jesus and experienced new life through him. The redeemed. And theologians have argued about this for hundreds of years. But essentially, it's a blanket statement. It covers everyone who went before, everyone who is, and everyone who will come, as far as I can see. Paul then adds even more. We're now part of the family of God. Remember, father, brothers and sisters. We are part of a family. The royal household is another language that's sometimes used. It's this very intimate word. It's mummy and daddy, it's brother and sister, it's sharing a house, it's doing life together, it's annoying each other. Have a look around. Sorry. But that's the deal, right? It's adopted in. I love that there are parents here today who are fostering and adopting. I think you get something, probably that I don't, about the heart of the father. I'm going to make my family one in which you now belong, where you get to share in what we already have. And then verse 20, he says, together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We sang that song earlier, didn't we? Paul changes the language here. It's no longer this ever-increasing intimacy language. It's now building language. It's architecture language. And he's drawing very much on the Old Testament imagery of the, new, of the temple. This physical space 
in which God's presence dwelt by his spirit, where God's people would gather on pilgrimage to encounter him. And he's trying to get us to see that there is still a temple, but it's different. It's not one made of human hands. It's one made of human stuff. Living stones. Paul is here trying to get us to understand that that we're part of something that God is building. And again, theologians debate what is meant here. It's interesting in 1 Corinthians, Paul describes Jesus as the foundation. Whereas here, he's talking about Jesus as the cornerstone. Um, For those of you interested in this, what most commentators think is that probably Paul's thinking has evolved and developed, become more sophisticated. And he's begun to think, actually, I need to talk about Jesus as the cornerstone or the capstone, that first stone that we put down. And then against which the apostles, those first apostles built the early church. They laid, based around that cornerstone, the foundations on which God could build his church. Because Jesus says, I build my church, not you. I build it, and the gates of Hades will not stand against it. So what I'm building will stand for eternity, but it's based around Jesus. And that's a hark back, that verse, uh, to what Psalm 118, which talks about the capstone that the builders rejected, Jesus. It's extraordinary. The entire new creation of God is built around Jesus, who hung on a cross as a common criminal, was raised to new life by the Spirit, the same Spirit that's in you. Wanting to dwell in you, Paul says. And so what we're trying to, what Paul wants us to see is that everything we build in our lives and collectively as the people of God has to align with this cornerstone. It has to be in sync. And if you've ever been and looked closely at old buildings that still stand, you know, places like the Natural History Museum or the cathedral, have a look. The precision engineering is extraordinary. Paul says that's because you're now the earthly dwelling place of God. The church is the new temple of God. It's made up, as I said, of people. That's what Pentecost is about. Just like in the Old Testament, God's spirit dwelt in the Holy of Holies. When the, tent, the, the temple is dedicated, Solomon's temple, it says that the priests all fell down as though dead. The spirit filled the room. It was the point literally where heaven and earth interlocked and overlapped. Side note, I always pray for that to happen at ordination services in the cathedral. I just think it'd be so funny if all the priests processing up just kind of got slain in the spirit. Anyway, can we cut that out of YouTube, please? Um, (laughs) But the Holy of Holies was right in the center, right in the temple. So there's two words for temple. There's one word that describes the whole ground, the whole space of the temple. And then there's a second word which actually describes the very bit in the middle, the Holy of Holies. And that is the word that Paul uses here when he talks about us being the temple. We're not just some sort of big thing. We're a big sight. We We are literally the dwelling place of God's Holy Spirit on earth. It's, we are now the point where heaven and earth interlock and overlap. Isn't that extraordinary? And that's why at Pentecost, Jesus says, I I want you to be my church, but please don't you dare start without me. Because I know what you're like. You'll have a building project before you know it. And what you need to know is you're the building. So wait for the promised gift of the Spirit. What's happening at Pentecost? He's filling his temple He's taking up residence in the new holy of holies. But this time, it's not a physical space. It's everybody all over the place. 
And so the Spirit fills the people of God, and it flows out through the people of God, and it has not changed. So when you say yes to Jesus, you get added in to this glorious earth temple made of humans. And that's why we make room for the ministry of the Spirit. That's why we're charismatics. Because that's how Jesus does it. He breathes on his church. We need it. Paul says in verse 21, we are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple in the Lord. That, friends, is who we are. That's who we are. That's who we are. Paul is speaking here about unity and harmony and how God is fitting us together. He's making this beautiful earthly dwelling for himself. Verse 22, through him, you Gentiles, remember the context is he's trying to explain to people who were not previously part of God's family, now are. That's the, that's the context here. That's hence the language. We're being made part of this dwelling. That God lives by his spirit. The verse here for uh, the tense used here is really insignificant. I don't, any English scholars can tell me what it's actually called, but essentially what we need to understand, it it speaks of an ongoing becoming. So it's a sense that we are the temple, Paul would say, and you're becoming the temple. So it's this identity that's bestowed upon us that we now live into and realize and make true, flesh out, literally incarnate is the word that Paul would probably have used. When we live into this identity and calling, it becomes true of us. And so we are this, but we need to become this. And that's true for us individually as well, isn't it? We are holy and righteous and Christ-like. So we become holy and righteous and Christ-like. Now, we hear the same language, don't we, elsewhere in the Scripture. Some of you might be thinking, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16, Rich. Well done. Don't you know, says Paul, that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives among you? Don't you know? Has no one told you? And then we see the same language used by Peter in his first letter. And Peter knew Paul and his writings, so it shouldn't surprise us. And what Peter does here actually unpacks it in a bit more detail. So notice this, 1 Peter 2. As you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, that's Psalm 118 again, but chosen by God and precious to him. Did you know you're precious to God? You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. You're all priests as well. Did you know that too? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Notice what he says. Why? To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Paul talks about this in Romans. Here's what I want you to do. Take up your cross. Lay down your life as a living sacrifice. Give yourself to this in response to the Jesus who gave himself to you. But you, he says, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That you what? That you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Who to? To one another? Well, yes, partly to remind us of who we are because we're quite forgetful, aren't we, the people of God? But fundamentally, to people who are called into this but have never been invited or who've never understood the invitation. Tom Wright, the great theologian, puts it like this. Those in whom the Spirit comes to live are God's new temple. They are individually and corporately places where heaven and earth meet. 
If you're full of the Spirit, if you're living in sync with God, where you go, he goes. Well, he always does. But the more aligned with him you are, the more he can work through you, wherever you are. Not just here. In fact, definitely not just here. Where you are tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. People don't need to go to church to find God. Because God sends his church to them. Gregory Beale, another theologian, puts it like this. Since Christians are now the body of Jesus Christ, Old Testament prophecies of the temple are fulfilled in the church. That will be important for some of you to align your close the loop on that question. Just as Eden, he says, was to grow and fill the earth, so the church grows as the beginning fulfillment of the end time temple in Jesus. Go to the end of the book, Revelation 21. There's a new heaven earth temple. That's what we're building. What we're building will last for eternity. It's extraordinary. Here's another way of looking at it. This is Charlie Mackesy's drawing, just to help you be really clear. Okay, I love that. Perhaps that is more helpful than anything else I've said so far. Lots of you nodding. Thank you. I love you too. Okay. So as we wrap this up, I'm conscious that I've spoken a bit longer than we normally do, but I'm the vicar. Uh, Three things I want to suggest to you that I think are really important for us to tease out of this and really think through individually, in our life groups, and collectively as a church that I think this means for us. Number one, this speaks to us about our identity, not just as the church, but as individual followers of Jesus. Church isn't something you do or go to. It's who we are. It's part of our identity as followers of Jesus. And this is important. Because as I've said, when you say yes to Jesus, you're saying yes to his body, yes to his family, and yes to the calling on it. We don't get to pick and choose. We live in a culture, don't we, where you know lots of it's optional extra. You can download an app for your phone. You can get the free version, but there's the in-app purchases you can buy to unlock all the benefits of it, all the extra bells and whistles if you really want them. That's not how church works. You don't get to kind of do bits of it, but not all of it. It's all or nothing with Jesus. Because that's the plan for the redemption of all creation, to work through the church. So when we pick and choose, when we opt in and out, when we blow hot and cold, it's like, this is not just because it thwarts the purposes of God to a degree, but because actually it limits us becoming all we're made to be. We're most gloriously alive. We're most in the fullness of God. It's planned for us collectively as well as individually. We live in a culture, don't we, that says you derive your sense of self and of worth from what you achieve, what you wear, what you project onto social media. But the scriptures say you don't get it from that. You get, it's given to you. It's not achieved. It's received. You don't need to go looking for a sense of self and worth and purpose. It's found in Jesus and the call on us as his people. Practically what I'm saying this is, please in this season, please would you reconcile yourself to that. If you're serious about Jesus, you've got to be serious about the church. And I'm not saying it's all about just turning up at things. It's far more beautiful and profound than that, but it will mean that. And we'll unpack that as we go. Number two, our vocation. We've been given a purpose, a calling, a vocation, and it's the best one you could ever ask for, which is to go in the name of Jesus 
with the love of the Father and the life of the Spirit in us and tell people, do you know what? Once we were all far away, once we were separated, but in Jesus, do you know what? You're invited home. There's a place and a person and a story that you can find yourself in in which all the questions go away. You get different ones like, how the heck does this work? It's a different question where the perfect love of God casts out all fear, where the peace of God transcends all understanding and you become who God intended in the first place and you learn perhaps for the first time how to be human and from that place you get to share in the redemption of all creation your gifts and talents and passions matter more than ever who who here knows somebody who needs to hear that can you just put your hand up we we all know somebody who needs to hear that And maybe some of you, like me, are here in the people of God because someone told you. I didn't grow up in the church. Someone asked me the other day, I went to get my blood, have a blood test done, and the nurse said to me, out of interest, what do you do? And I said, well, you've got three guesses. That's my normal game. And uh, I'm always delaying for as long as possible telling people that I'm a vicar because you never quite know what reaction you're going to get. And uh, she said, oh, I would never have guessed that. And I said, why is that? She said, because you're so young. I was like, well, thank you. yeah, right. It's true, actually, Jess. I'm 44, for those of you guessing. Yeah, I know. I don't look it. Um, my kids keep me, um, make me feel older than I am. And, uh, but she said, why, why, would you, why did you do that? It wasn't like, why, why are you a vicar, you loser? She's like, what, why? And I said, well, the short answer is that I discovered in Jesus Christ redemption and healing. It became me for the first time. And I, I think I've been called to help other people discover that. She said, I've never heard the church described like that before. In fact, she said, do you know what? I'm 24. I've never been in a church. Friends, we have a responsibility, and that's my third and final point. We have a responsibility, actually to other people, to this cultural moment, to the world around us. We have a responsibility to give our lives to this. We have a responsibility to a dazed, battered, broken, confused, volatile world that is wondering and seeking, desperately hoping someone's going to give them a better story. To go tell it and to actually go live it in a winsome, potent way so people discover faith and hope and love. It's not a moment, friends, to deconstruct, disconnect, disengage. This is a moment to reconstruct, re-engage, re-imagine, rediscover together. Let's, I'm really happy to rip up the how we do it, but who we are, why we are, and the big calling is not up for discussion. We are going to go for it as the people of God. <sighs> so let's take a moment, because in a moment we're going to gather around a table. It's actually a really ordinary table. It's quite old. It's been here a long, long time, and for decades, centuries someone who's been ordained by the institutional church to be a priest among us will, will have stood and broken bread and held up the wine and said, all of this is only possible because he did that. And it's not one of those meals that we come to like, thank you, Jesus. It's one of those like, thank you, Jesus. And let it be fuel for me. Let it feed me with the biblical language with the truth of who you are, so that 
I can go out into the world with joy, open hands, open hearts, and serve. Paul says this in Ephesians 2. I'm going to finish here. Don't worry. This is from the message paraphrase. He says these verses we've read earlier. Don't take any of this for granted. Because of Christ dying that death, shedding that blood, you who who were once out of it altogether are in on everything. You created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. So when you come, when Jess hands it to you, Remember, this is who we are. It's the body of Christ because we're the body of Christ. Let's be still for a moment and then Jess will lead us out.